You're listening to the Renegade Blitz, the best podcast for Steelers fans by Steelers fans. Follow us on Twitter at Renegade Blitz, at RBlitzPod, and at Blitz Videos. Read articles on RenegadeBlitz.com, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. And welcome back to the Renegade Blitz podcast. I'm Ty Pope with Chris Ward and Brandon Walker. Back to recap the Steelers' Monday night victory, 29-27 over the Chicago Bears. And there's a lot to talk about with this game, but we want to start off with the, well, burning subject out of this game, and it's the officiating. And really, you could talk about it on, on it being more harmful for Chicago because, well, they lost. But also, there was a few calls against the Steelers, namely those reviews. When you think about that, uh, the catch made on the sideline by Marquise Goodwin and also the fumble by Ray Ray McLeod. If you guys take a look back at it, they were kind of similar, well, reviews in a way, because it showed exactly how they were going to call this game uh, on, on Monday night. It showed that, okay, if there's any bobble of the ball, and and the, and this call has already been made. They're going to stick to it, and that's exactly what they did that night. They ruled Marquise Goodwin's catch before going to review. They ruled it as a catch, and then they ruled Ray Ray McLeod's fumble as a fumble. And they went to review, and I guess they decided that that was the evidence that there was a fumble and that was a catch. And guys. There's been a lot to talk about it. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've seen other people write about it. I want to get your guys' take on it. It's all about consistency. Well, on those two, I guess at that point they had showed consistency. You got to stick with the ball and call in the field. There's not enough to overturn it. I actually thought that was a fumble. And I, I the catch is, you know... You can, it's a, eh, I'm sorry to say it. It, it could be debatable, more debatable, but I think it was definitely a fumble because you see the ball moving. So fumble is definitely different from a catch. So yeah. how do you call it? I didn't have an issue with either of those two calls, but uh, the main one is obviously the Cassius Marsh uh, taunting penalty, which uh, ended up uh, resulting in a Steelers field goal <laughs> For, uh, where they took a 26 to 20 lead and uh, they, they were knocked off out of field goal range once Marsh made that um, sack late in the fourth quarter. But uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the, the taunting penalty. I mean, unless it's really obvious, like when Tyree Kill does the deuces and stuff when he goes in for an end zone or something like taunting a player. But I mean, even that, I'm just, I'm, you know, we go back to our mid 2000s, like when we were growing up in that range, like just like it's part of the game, uh, you know, Marsh. He just uh, he walked toward the Steelers uh, bench and he wasn't even that close and he didn't even say anything. He was just staring him down. He also did like a like a, uh, a spinning heel kick too, which is pretty interesting. Uh, I guess that's his senior sack move, but which doesn't happen which doesn't happen often because you know he's a practice squad player that got promoted. And he was with the Steelers for a short period last last year and even this year he got cut in August, late August. But um, and, and then the the late um, or, or the low block penalty that the Bears got called in, which negated the touchdown, and uh, they ended up kicking the field goal in that drive. So, oh, Tony Corrente, uh, he definitely had a rough night all, all around. Oh, yeah. It was it was rough. It's bad. You said he was 69 years old. 
Yeah, I think he should retire after this game because <laughs> it, it was so egregious. Like, he didn't touch anybody. You had that penalty, and then you miss a roughing the passer penalty on Ben. And then Highsmith damn near kills Justin Fields on the field after the play, and then no roughing the passer call. The Bears kind of got hosed in this game a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about on that end with the the roughing the passer calls. And normally Ben doesn't get any of those. So anytime you see a roughing the passer call for the Steelers, you're just like, oh, my God, what a gift from the heavens. But, yeah, that that Justin Fields uh, hit by Heisman, um, that's textbook roughing the passer. I mean – uh, the, the general thing is two steps, and that's a penalty. If it's one, if it's one, it, unless they're trying to be really ticky tacky, or it's Tom Brady at quarterback, or Patrick Mahomes, maybe sometimes they're gonna call that. You can't hit him after he throws the ball, no matter what. But in that situation, uh, a hit from behind, you see numbers. That's got to be roughing the passer. But there's a lot to also talk about with the Bears. I mean, they they had a ton of penalties that night. And it was all about lining up in the neutral zone, which just felt like a very weird penalty to have consistently. I I know that we have the benefit of when you're watching from the sanctuary of your own television, you can see the blue line and stuff like that. But there's been a lot of, uh, just a lot of those weird neutral zone infraction calls. And I don't know how you can really fix that other than, well, just line up like a few inches off to the ball. But again, as you can see on the other side with TJ Watt, any inch that an offensive line has against you in terms of starting just a little bit earlier can be the difference between, well, most players not getting any sacks at all. But of course, TJ Watt, is a freak of nature, and he's not human. He has three sacks, regardless of getting held and offensive linemen getting the benefit of the doubt on some of those false starts. Well, yeah, the Bears got penalized 12 times for 115 yards. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, some of them, a lot of them was the neutral zone factions. And a lot of them, they got away with a lot of false starts. A lot of them. It seemed like every third play, I see Jason Peters and their right tackle and their center was just jumping. It, it seems like that's been an ongoing thing across the league. Though, like the the refs, it seems like they give those tackles like like a little bit. Like if they they go a couple, you know seconds before the ball snapped, like, they're, they're okay with that. But, like, I mean, some of these calls were, like, just clear. Yeah, expect in the future that there's going to be the emphasis right now is on taunting. I think they should have just called it unsportsmanlike and not even give it a new name. Just call it what it always has been. You're going to do it unsportsmanlike conduct. But yeah. there's one thing that I have to say about that. I'm just telling people right now, next season, because it's been – you know how it used to be like so hard to see that it's just like any of the little bit of jumps. Now you could sit there and watch your television and clearly see this guy is getting off his perch 
faster than even the ball is snapped. And you can tell. I, I'm just, I'm willing to bet. Uh, I, I'm, I would love to go to Vegas or Rivers right now and put in a bet that at one point during the competition committee next offseason, that there is a emphasis on false starts by offensive tackles because, again, it's been a little bit more apparent than usual. Oh, yeah. I I definitely agree. Competition is going to look at that big time. I think that might be tops of the list. Really, the other thing is probably bringing over the XFL's replay official. So they have been a little bit good with that this year, but I think they need a, a little bit more expansion out of that because situations like last night for, for both teams, it just harmed Chicago a little bit more because they lost a the game. They, they arguably should have won that. But, okay. yeah, that was that was something just uh, out of this world. But it's kind of been a, a more common occurrence with the NFL this season in terms of bad officials, or as urinating tree likes to call it, ref ball. Ref ball. Yeah, and did you think – would you say that the Steelers won that game because of the refs, or do you think those calls really – I mean, they won by two points, and, you know – you take a touch, you know, four points with that touchdown that they took away. They ended up getting a field goal. And then, you know, you know, Boswell hit that fifty-two yarder because yeah, Marsh, the Marsh on I'm sorry. I think so. I think the referees helped them win that game. Maybe not hold directly, but you take four points off for a field goal. Four points off. You shave. Three points on a roughing on that taunting penalty. I, I forgot when that those roughing passers, roughing plays in question. I forgot when them they happened. Did they happen on any of those uh, drives when they scored? Or this was when I believe they went. They they got a field goal, and it uh, they ended up getting six points. Okay, what do you mean for the? Uh, Steelers got the when they called it on Ben. Oh, oh, that's, that's, oh, that was. I'm the, talking about when did that? What part of when did they? When did he rough Ben? I could just look it up now, uh, but it was in the first half. First half. Yeah. Well, they did they score on that drive? We'll take a look. I got the play by play here. Okay. Yeah. They did, the one, the one that happened when the Bears got the field goal, though, it was fourteen three, uh, and they and it ended up right. Oh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the uh, when they sat Ben, when they they had that roughing call. Oh, okay, I got no, you. I they they uh, here's that they did not score on either on either one of those drives. So I think it didn't affect that part of the game, the Ben part. I mean, we can't say the right. I don't know when the um. Uh, precisely tell when the uh roughing on fields part so I feel like it happened in the second half probably somewhere around the third quarter somewhere yeah, around third yeah, it was when uh it, it was 14 to 3 and uh the bears ended up kicking a field goal it was uh oh yeah. it was 14 to 6 in, in the at in the third quarter it was it definitely was because it yeah, because they were at the one yard line. Yeah. 
they were at the one yard line when it happened. Second and goal at the Steeler one yard line when they had that uh, low block penalty, which didn't happen. It was ridiculous. So, I mean, there's a uh, lot of things we could talk about with officiating this game. You could also you could also argue about uh, the rare read option by Ben Roethlisberger not being a first down for the Steelers and they get the milk more clock off and maybe the Bears have no shot to kick that 60-plus uh, yard field goal that they say hit the crossbar, but I think because of how high the ball bounced, uh, they got confused by that looking off the monitor. It does happen sometimes, trust me. But oh, yeah. we'll move on to other subjects with the Steelers. And another thing we could talk about is that the Steelers are having the top blown off them a little bit more apparent this season than ever. And it, it, it really did change the game for the Bears. And you think about, again, the Goodwin play. Also to, to Massey, Allen Robinson. Uh, there was a lot of times, and I remember on that last scoring drive for the Bears, Arthur Millette just got abused. There, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He really needs some safety help in that situation from Minka, maybe even Terrell Edmonds, but they were more focused on trying to make Justin Fields' uh, legs not be, well, the game winner for, for Chicago. And it did work out there well, but uh, sacrifices were made, and Arthur Mullet was, yeah, the, the, the big abused. sacrifice that game. Yeah, abused. You can talk about it all game. I mean... A lot of people want to say cut Millet, but you can't do that in this situation. It's just like sometimes you have to look at uh, why is this man out here in this situation basically being told, like, yo, you're a nickel corner. Cover a number one wide receiver that plays in the slot. Yep. That's a poor coaching decision. And, yes, why do you think they are struggling to close games on defense? Uh, that's a good point. I mean, you look at the last couple of games, the second half, like the, it, like the Seahawks game, the Denver, they came back in the, in the second half too. Uh, yeah. They just like fall apart. Well, they did. They played pretty well the second half, the, especially the fourth quarter against the Browns. But yeah, I don't know what's going on with their, their second half defense and what kind of adjustments they're making or, you know, what changes. Or lack thereof. Yeah. Lack of their, yeah. Maybe it's, be, maybe it's because these guys that they've been facing off against, at least their offensive coordinators or the head coaches themselves are realizing, oh, wait, we have guys that can do something in a slot out, out here. You think about the Broncos with their receiving weapons out there. You also have the Seahawks as well. I mean, DK Metcalf is a big guy out there, but they have a bunch of other guys that can do stuff out there as well. And the Browns win – all cylinders are firing like what they did against Cincinnati this week. They have guys that can also create havoc out there. So you're just wondering, is there a certain point where the offensive coordinators and the head coaches for the other team realize that, oh, wait, they have this guy covering them on an island. Let's just go attack that. I mean, I think the Bears, they executed well, too. I mean, they they, they were yes. they didn't have terrible field position the first half and uh you know they were kind of uh you know a lot of penalties and they were just like getting behind the chains but in the second half you know fields uh you know he played he threw the ball down the field really well i think he averaged like almost 15 yards per target or per attempt or something like that 
Um, and he completed four passes that went for 20 yards or longer. So I, I was I was pretty impressed with uh, Fields. I thought I think the Bears had I think they got their legit quarterback for the future. Yeah, I agree. I can piggyback on that. And uh, but the he was amazing. He made plays. I saw the future. They have a quarterback, except one thing. That quarterback, I mean, that coach, Matt Nagy, is not going to get him there. Yeah. yeah. They're not going to get him yeah, there. you can say that. I think Matt, Mag- Matt Nagy is probably a pretty good offensive coordinator. Uh, I mean, doing that out there with the Chiefs. But then again, that line – that line of offensive coordinators under Andy Reid is a mile long. A lot of guys made made their bones being his OC. You can thank Brad Childress, who also helped out with Mike Tomlin there for getting him the job with the Minnesota Vikings. And then you can go all the way down the entire line with that Reid coaching tree. So there's something there. Uh, this was the this was the first game for the Bears with Justin Fields and and Matt Nagy, both being the primary play callers, where they actually did something. Uh, I just don't know. I just don't know what to say about Nagy. Maybe this is not the coaching job for him anymore because a lot of what the Bears did, yes, that taunting penalty sucks, but those neutral zone infractions, encroachments and stuff like that, those are things that, that go down to coaching. Those are things you have to fix. They cannot happen. Yep. Yeah, they, they changed some things up too. They even did the wildcat with Montgomery, and uh, you know they, they scored a touchdown off of that. Um, I think Devin Bush. Uh, people were. I, I didn't see it. I have to go back and watch, but I saw the touchdown. But people were saying that he got. Uh, he made a bad read on that on that touchdown run. Yeah, it was a bad read. Talk about Devin Bush on the uh, on that Mooney. I think it was run. Mooney that he scored. Oh, yeah, Mooney scored. scored. Yeah, it was Mooney. Montgomery handed Because that won me my fantasy league game. That's how I know. Oh, okay. I'm sorry to mention fantasy plug my fantasy team, but that's what yeah. and then won Jimmy me the Graham, game. Uh, he beat Edmonds down the seam, too. They were, they were targeting. A great, Komet had a pretty good game for the Bears. He was making yes. He had a pretty good game. They got some young weapons there. <clears throat> they got to find a guy that can put, put it all together. And, and here goes the ironic thing. They could probably use a guy like Lovey Smith right now. I think, I think nowadays this team is more built to be under Lovey Smith than the year they actually made the Super Bowl. Yeah, because he's good with younger teams. He's always been good with younger teams. But what can fix the the ultimately? What will hinder him is that that. I, I don't want to be disrespectful to like the ownership. The ownership is going to let him down. I'm and I'm going to leave it at that because I'm just going to leave it at that. I mean, there's a lot of things that go to, go on with ownership across the league. I don't think the McCloskeys are necessarily the deal breaker with that. I think they've shown with the acquisition of Khalil Mack when they believe they have a team, they will go for it. But I think this team is probably more built for it. But I think uh, it's just like the Steelers with their with their defense and the great offense, and now it's the inverse. And now they're kind of in a middle of the stage right now. I, I think the ship 
in a way, at least for the defense, sailed a little bit. And we can talk a little bit more about that. There was some missing missing pieces for the Bears, namely Khalil Mack. And Khalil Mack would have made an a extreme difference in this game, even though, of course, guys like Cassius Marsh were able to get in on Ben Roethlisberger. But that's the one thing I want to talk about next. What can we make out of this game with Ben Roethlisberger? It, it's what you wanted out of him. Uh, at least in terms of a stat sheet performance, 21 of 30, 205 yards, two touchdowns. He still remains as one of the only quarterbacks since week five that hasn't thrown an interception. Has it gotten very close? Yes, but the important thing is it hasn't happened. Yeah, Roxbury, he hasn't been putting up, you know, gaudy numbers, but, you know, he has a six to zero touchdown interception ratio, you know, during the – uh, five game winning streak. So, I mean, uh, he, he's he playing, um, you know, he's not losing the game for him. You know, I, I would like to see a little bit better numbers as far as like passing, like the Steelers, they need to increase their points and their, you know, their yardage total. Cause I mean, like these, these close games they're when like, I have to look at their, their point differential and stuff, but uh, I would like to see them blow out uh, or at least get a, you know, a substantial amount of lead on some of these teams. Cause I think, I think it's going to hurt them down the road when they start playing some of these, more elite uh, playoff caliber teams. Oh, uh, yeah. Ben has played well enough. I think this might be the best he can do. I, I'm fi- I still have a feeling he's going to crash and burn still as the season goes along. Because we all said, everybody, we all three agreed that this was it. This is a very soft area of the schedule. We're not going to figure it out till basically after Thanksgiving. And can the offensive line get improved enough, which they are, they're on their way. Last night they didn't show. They gave up four sacks. Can they offset it and protect Ben enough? Because Ben will not get better as the season goes along. And their point differential oh, – okay, you want to know what their point differential is, uh, Chris? Yeah. Steelers are five and three. The Steelers points for 161. You want to know what the points against is? What is it? 169. Minus eight. Uh, that's, that's, that's how narrow it is for this team right now. I mean, we could talk we could talk about it all day, but but I want to talk more about the offensive line. I said it on the Twitter page that I kind of knew that exactly how the Steelers offensive line was going to go. It was going to be effectively, they were going to show more strides early on in the run game than they were going to do in the passing game. And now, and yes, Ben Roethlisberger did get sacked four times on Monday night, but there was enough moments where they actually created good pockets that has me going, okay, maybe this could be something in by the time they reach week 14, if they're still in the playoff hunt, which I think right now, if they're, let's not count the chickens before they hatch, but if they get out of this game in Detroit, could I trust them to steal a few games on their way out there to maybe at least competing for a playoff spot? Yeah, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Oh, no, it's not, because – the AFC is mediocre. It is a mediocre conference. 
Their your best team allegedly, apparently, just lost. Who did they lose to? The Jacksonville Jaguars. Of course, exactly. But also, you got to look at it like this: the Tennessee Titans are not going to go away, and, and and I think this team, the team's smartest decision, was also looking out and trying to see if they can. Showing that, hey, people can also trust Ryan Tannehill to do something. Ryan Tannehill is going to have some weapons around them. When they finally get Julio back, which may be in December when the, when the Titans come to town, uh, it's going to be a team that if Derrick Henry can get back into like good enough shape where they can have an A-B or, or A-B, 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 A-B. And Derrick Henry backfield, I don't know if I want to face the Titans offense. You know what? I might be a crazy thing to say. But is Derrick Henry? I mean, he's great. He's awesome. Is that really that big of a loss? You got you still got AJ Brown. You have Julio Jones, you have a you have a nice running back. They're running back. I mean, AP, he's an ageless, and you got a couple guys. He played the guy that you, was playing for the Texans last season, or Foreman. He was pretty good. He averaged about four four yards on Sunday night. I know we're going on a tangent on other teams, but look, they are solid. And Simmons on defense, man, he's he was a beast. Yeah, he's good. I remember. Let me just say this right now. The reason why people were kind of like freaking out and saying the Titans were over at the time is because Derrick Henry accounted for 30% of that offense. 30% of that offense in this day and age with basically spread out pseudo air raid offenses being in vogue for a running back to be 30% of the offense. If you would have told me like that was maybe like 13 years ago with CJ2K in the backfield, I'd be like, yeah, running back 30% of the offense, actually, that's kind of low. It should be more like 40 or 50, maybe. So, yeah. I mean, it's a passing league at the end of the day. So, and the pa- Titans do have a passer. They got a guy that can uh, get it done ever since. V in Miami right now, they, I don't know. With Tua, they got rid of Tannehill. Uh, I, I think the I think it's the one like good sign. Of course, there is a Doctor Jekyll and Doctor Doctor Hyde with former Adam Gase quarterbacks out there right now, and that's what you see yeah. in Tennessee and in Carolina. But of course, Sam Darnold still has a rebuttal. But I don't know if it's going to be as good as what it was in the first couple weeks of the season. Well, yeah, he's hurt. Yeah, he yeah he's clearly he's, hurt. He just got hurt. Well, let's get back to the Steelers uh, right. quickly here. Uh, thank you for tuning in for Around the NFL. But, <laughs> but, uh, we're just out here shooting people. But, but if there's one another thing you want to talk about is, of course, it's, it's the man of the hour. It's TJ Watt, and you could also add in there Cam Hayward. Uh, I mean, these two guys have stepped up to a, to a whole new level. Cam Hayward, especially with that interception, he officially is tied for the team lead in interceptions. That's how, well, derelict the Steelers' secondary in terms of interceptions has been. And guess who he's tied with? James Pierre, your boy, Brandon. But 
I mean, we could talk about it, but it's really been those two guys in perhaps the most Herculean performance. And I guess you could also add in there Alex Highsmith as well as a support gunner with Watt. Uh, that pass rush for the Steelers, it had some trouble because, of course, a, a running quarterback always creates those those types of havoc. But still, it was a great performance by that pass rush. Three sacks by Watt alone. How many does he have doing now? Eleven and a half. Mm-hmm. That's that's like six and a half games too because he like got injured yeah. against the, the Raiders and he didn't play against uh, the Bengals in week three. Most guys have that in like an entire year. Two years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two years, but eleven. He's at eleven and a half now. He's unbelievable. I mean, he's, man, that's the, there's that, a couple players up for defensive. Uh, player that you know, Miles Garrett's obviously in there, uh, Diggs and Dallas, and then you know, even Aaron Donald. I, I saw the, those four are the, are the top right now. I feel like you just have to give him it this year now because he's really been essential to that entire defense. Uh, I mean, you take away their two best interior linemen on a 3 4 defense. Mm. He, yeah, he sometimes lines up a, as a defensive end with his hand in the dirt. So you could arguably say the Steelers run a pseudo 4-3 out there. That's just the way their scheme is. But uh, you have to look at this guy and go, when you look around at every other team in the league, really I think it's him and Diggs. But Diggs has kind of fallen off a little bit in the last couple of weeks, and that's why I say Watts, Watts on top right now. So – I think when you look at it, he, he had last year he had issues with the with the strip sacks. I believe his first strip sack was against in, Indianapolis in the in the division championship winner. He's he's now getting those with regularity like he was the previous few years, and now it's clear they don't win that game against Seattle against them, and probably against Chicago. You could put a a pretty sizable argument alongside Cam Hayward. They don't win that game either. Yeah, those are that's like the magic, the dynamic duo. Um, Miles Garrett has twelve sacks this year. I just looked him up, but but going pound for pound, T.J. Watt is the defense. I don't know if he do, he's going to say the defensive player of the year, but he's the defensive MVP. Like if defensive, I, I don't know what they have de- defensive MVP, but you know what I mean. The defensive player of the year may be Miles Garrett, but the defensive MVP, your most valuable player for your team, is definitely TJ Watt, top gun. And I would say Cam Hayward would be number two. Oh, yeah, Hayward's been, been yes. so high level, too. This is his best year that I've ever seen Hayward play. I mean, every game he's, you know, he's making impact plays. You know, that was his second career interception there. And that was a great play, too. You know, he batted the uh, past the line of scrimmage and somehow deflected into his hands. Yes. And I didn't think – I thought he was going to throw – I thought he was going to throw a pick or two, a pick. But I didn't think it was going to be Hayward that was going to get the pick. But remember our thing. (laughs) Yeah, that was – I was like, yep, here it comes. What? But they're good on the first half. The problem is they got to do it for four quarters on a consistent basis. Do you? I have a question now. Do you guys think that 
TJ Watt and the way he plays affects them in the second half because their pass rush is, is not as effective in the third and fourth quarter, except with the exception of the Seattle game, of course. But they're, you think he was going all out, which is great, it's awesome, affects the Steelers? In a way, yes. Going late in the fourth quarter? In huh? a way, yes. I think that I think that we're gonna go back and look at it probably when it's all said and done with the season and go, maybe they should have tried to work something out with Melvin Ingram just to just to have him be like the guy that replaces TJ a little bit. Like they can they can run TJ likes to run in spurts. You know, he'll he'll sub himself out because he goes all out. It's just like his brother. And and, and you're just hoping that if he's gonna do that. He doesn't have the injury bug that JJ has, at least at least recently. He's still great regardless. I think he I think if he wanted to go out there and play and Arizona had their hands tied behind their back, he'd go out there and play anyway. Because that's just JJ Watt and that's how much of an impact he makes. TJ makes a very similar impact to this team. So so when I when I think of it like that, this is where I, I kind of wish they had Ingram still with them. I wish they would have tried to say, like, look, we're gonna have we're gonna figure out a way here to get you like running gun snaps out there. And maybe that could have helped the Steelers pass rush a little bit more with that, especially if Charlton was gonna come out to the foray. But I, I think does anyone remember hearing his name out there? Nope. Nope. I didn't see out. Nope, I didn't see out at all. too often. No pressures, nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's kind of a scary. That's kind of a scary thing. But then again, the Steelers wanted Charlton as well during that draft. He was picked up two spots ahead of Watt. So th- there's just a lot of things you can look at with the Steelers team and go. You want to have an embarrassment of riches, and in a way, they kind of do. But at, at least in a pass rush war. Front. The problem is, most of that embarrassment, they can't exactly come to the foray right now. And that would really help TJ a lot. So I think largely he's running this way because one, they don't have the personnel in a way right now. And two, that's just how he's always been. I don't, I don't, I don't mind. You're not exactly 100% wrong. But I would say. Warmly is playing great. Bubs is doing his thing out there. You're not gonna get. I mean, I know they're not may not be alu alu and um to it, but they're holding the fort down for them. Well, that's a that's one thing, and it's good. It's good to have that defensive line depth, even if a three four is isn't exactly the calling card for defensive line depth in a way. You still need it, but but also those guys have fared in pretty well. And it's not maybe messed up the vibe, for lack of a better term, with TJ Watt and all that stuff. But still, you want to have two in and you want to have Alawo out there. And maybe these guys could go out there in a full-time role replacing them. Because when you think about it, I know that Alawo had this great run last year and he kind of just like reinvigorated his career and no tackles can hang around forever. Ask yeah. Brett Kiesel, ask Casey Hampton about that. And, and two, it's kind of had a little bit of an up and down injury history. 
So if these guys are able to able to at least come in there and do things well in which Cam Hayward is still out there dominating and TJ Watt is still out there being TJ Watt, it's a great thing for the Steelers. I think, you know, the problem, could it be the middle? Your middle linebackers? Schobert, yeah. Schobert and uh, Devin, Devin Bush has not lived up to the hype at all. At all. Recently. Recently has not lived up to the hype. Okay, okay. I shouldn't say at all, but if you're going to be a top 10 pick, you got to be like Shea Zero level week one. I know he had the injury. We got, we get the injury. He got an injury, but if he can, can be more consistent and even can Minka Fitzpatrick do anything, he made a couple plays last night, but is he consistent enough when he's not turning the ball over? Can he? make wreck havoc on somewhere in the backfield on a consistent basis. This is like they're running almost a it's like almost a shacking Kobe of of the defense right now. And that cannot be sustainable throughout the whole game and their whole season. Cause this is a this whole defense struggling, it's not a accident. It's been a trend. The entire season, except for two games. Yeah, uh, speaking of some players that have been getting, uh, or a player, I should say, get, that's been getting a lot of heat from Steeler fans and, you know, our good friends there at Pro Football Focus, uh, Mika Fitzpatrick, he kind of, yeah, he was playing with a lot of aggressiveness yesterday. How would that hit he had there on Justin Fields? Uh, that was trending oh, yeah. all over Twitter. Our friends, Pro Football Focus. <laughs> I don't know. Um, some, whatever, I, I, I mean, for Cam Hayward, yeah, but for him, I don't know about that, Chief. But there, there's a lot of things you can talk about with that. There's been talk that I, I think the corner situation for the Steelers has really hampered Minka's effectiveness because he's not able to go out there and roam center field. Like, more often than not, he's had to play, like, left to center or even left field or right field sometimes trying to fill in with the corners. Even a guy like Steven Nelson, as they say that, quote, he fell off last year. Uh, and also Joe Hayden, when he was healthy last year and, and the previous year before that. And, of course, you have Mike Hilton as well. When there's autonomy, as Chris Carter liked to say in his podcast, autonomy means a ton in terms of being the rover safety, right. free safety, for lack of a better term for me. Yeah, I'll have to go back to see, you know, the complete how the secondary played. But just looking at the first time, I thought it was more like schematics, like the Steelers were getting in bad looks and stuff, and Fields was just taking advantage of, right. taking advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, Millette obviously got, you know, roasted there on those two back-to-back plays that ended up you know, in a touchdown. But, um, like, I don't know, like, did you guys think Hayden or Sutton or Fitzpatrick? I mean, no, I know Edmonds got beat on that. Oh, yeah. Passed down the seat, but did you notice anything, you know, noticeable really with the corners getting beat, or do you think it was more schematics? I I think it's a little bit of I, you know what. Other than Moulet, I don't think he. Other than Moulet, I don't think anybody's stood out poorly, but some of that was Justin Herbert running around making plays too. Just you run around making plays, you're gonna be. 
you might think you're covering. You can't. You're not going to cover everybody for five, six, seven receiving for five, six, seven seconds. Jefferson Fields made time for them to make plays, except for Willette. He got just. Yeah. He, he and, was just and I would mention that some of that had to do with the uh, you know uh, quarterback mobility and stuff, and that was one thing I was really impressed with Fields because you know I love quarterback mobility. He, he's got some really nice speed. He you know he's almost like he uh, Lamar Jackson level really. Lamar Jackson, yeah. As far as speed, not you speed. Know, yeah, speed wise. I think he's I think he's a more pure passer than Lamar, but. But Lamar is also yeah. proving that he could do that as well as I. Well, he did the broadcast at Fields. He ran like a four four or something like that. Yeah, he said six three two twenty five ran a four four. Yeah, that 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 kid's gonna be a beast. And and what's gonna what's gonna do him in if the Bears are not careful is, of course, as you said, management, ownership, and also the coach. But I got a feeling that they're gonna fix a lot of that in the coming years. Yeah, I hope he doesn't get RG3. No, you don't want that at all. Don't want that at all. So we're about to finish up this podcast. We talked about a lot about the defense, the offense as well. We got to talk about the the offensive line. Well, we talked about that earlier. (laughs) We got to talk about more about about their their run stuff, uh, the short yardage situations. Yeah, they did. They did. They they could not move him off the line of scrimmage. At, uh, yeah. I know we talked about the offensive line, but I wanted to mention about Kendrick Green, uh, Kevin Dotson. Uh, you know, we did talk about. I, I think we talked about Dan Moore getting beat off the edge. He allowed two sacks. Um, Kendrick Green really struggled. Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks really, they were having their way there in the the middle of the, the Steelers interior part. Which um you yeah. know Najee, he only averaged like two point eight yards per carry, I think. He rushed for sixty two two yards, I think. Yeah, but there's um, one thing I can say about that, at least with Najee. Uh yeah, sorry about that. Um if there's one thing I can say about Najee is that he was able to fight and get get a lot of those uh fourth and short situations, those third and short situations. So yeah, he's got a lot of fight in him and I and I think that's gonna be one thing that's important as this offensive line tries to develop in their rushing attack with run blocking out there, but you don't want to see that every single time that he has the ball out there. Eventually you want to have him get some daylight for once out there. Everything's been, been hard charging for him. And, and you just hope that when they finally do get it together, he's not done basically. Right. Cause we forgot. We're gonna roll like you know what? We're about fifty minutes into this game, this podcast, and we have not mentioned what this guy one time. We almost sent it without it, but yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, That's of that course, bad, baby. Let's you let's talk about the receivers down. real quick. Yes, you uh, you thought you was gonna get away with me talking about and me not gloating about this guy. Again, I just wanted no. to end the podcast just to make sure, but just to give us a little bit of reprieve. But I do it. Yes, you, you got to give that man credit. That that man did. That man's a beast. That man's He's a beast. <laughs> He's gonna. He came out and blessed him for the game, and I was just like, man, it feels really good to have a tight end out there that can do something. Yes. It, it feels amazing. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna tell you. 
two years, I'm going to say by next year, he's going to be your best weapon on offense. I'd say two years from now, he's probably going to be the Steelers tight end ever. He's on track, I think. He could, yeah. I, I mean, you really, you really have to put a, a long thought into that because, of course, you got Heath Miller at number one. And then who's next? Randy Grossman? Uh, Eric Green? Well, he might be almost – he's might be – I'll tell you, he is a star. We have a star tied in here. Yeah, all four of his touchdowns this year have come in the red zone, and that was what he's known for at Penn State. He didn't have a single drop in the red zone. All those years of getting abused by Gronk, and they finally have a guy – that can go out there and return a favor. It feels really great, but but also the rest of the Steelers' wide receiver core as well. Um, they they use the wide receivers more as the second running back a lot in this game. Uh, when you think about with all the jet sweeps out there, and it, it's creative play calling by Matt Canada. You have to give him that. If you don't have a true second running back, this league is predicated off of these uh, – jet touch passes, those jet sweeps and all that stuff. Let's just use our wide receivers and tell them to go, hey, fight around that corner. Yes, I'm going to tell you something. Yeah, they had six. James Washington carried the ball two times. Claypool carried the ball two times. Johnson carried the ball two times. Guess how many, anybody other than Najee Harris who played running back got two carries. Was there another running back that even played for the Steelers? I've seen Belage in a in a photo of Ben Roethlisberger coming out of the tunnel before the game started, but that was it. That was like the one time in which I seen Kalen Belage's number called. I don't remember hearing one, another running back. One he had one carry, and no, one catch, and two yards. Kalen Belage. Kalen Belage, one carry? carry for two yards. Snell had two carries for six <laughs> yards. No other running got got, it got any play. And McFarlane was inactive. Terrace. Huh? And McFarlane was inactive, so yeah. It wasn't, so, so that's for next year, give him a competent backup running back so you won't use him up by year three. Because, yeah, the way this is going, but yeah, he's on track for 400 touches, over 400 touches. So what is the magic number? That's the magic number, right? 400 touches in a year? Yeah. That's not exactly what you want, especially in a rookie. Especially in a 17-game season now? Yeah, I mean, that's how Tomlin does it with his running backs. You know, he... You know, he uses them up as much as he can, really. You know, he's their feature back. That's why they drafted him in, in the first round. Yeah, he got him. He got him. But I, I agree with you. I would like to see a little bit, maybe a running back, too, that could at least do some, you know, get some, like, give him a breather every once in a while. I think they believe McFarland's that guy, but I don't know. Like, they, I guess Tomlin said the matchups, you know, they liked what they had in this one with some of their other guys, but I don't know. So if he's your second running back, why didn't he get – was it active? So they thought Benny Snell – yeah, it was two good. catches, it was two rushes for six yards, and Balage with one catch for two yards and zero carries. Didn't carry the ball at all. Uh, they thought they could do that. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, that's just rough numbers. And 
you don't want to you don't want another running back for the Steelers to go the route of Bill Withers. Keep on using me until you use me up. I mean, come on, man. They they gotta find something out there. Even even I trust Belage more than Snell. That's just me. But but I mean, maybe journeyman running back knows his role. But Benny knows his role as well. He's out there on special teams. But here, there's, there's of course, we could talk about that all day, special teams. Let's move on a little bit. Uh, Boz is gone. I guess we can agree with that. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, they needed every single field goals from him. Two 50-yard field goals, a fumble recovery, and a game-winning pick field goal. Yeah, and all that came in the fourth quarter too. Uh, he was the only kicker to ever record all those stats. Uh, you know, uh, two kicks over fifty yards, a game winner, and a, a fumble recovery. Yeah, take that, Justin Tucker. <laughs> yeah, that that's great to see right there, especially after last week with that. He he went back right into the fray after getting concussed, but from what they told us, he was fine, or at least back on the men by Tuesday. So. Again, that was great to see, and that's why you pay your kicker, and that's why whenever your kicker has a down year, you stick with them because then you're getting rewarded just like how they were in 2017. Is there anything else to talk about, guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're almost done here, but uh, I was wondering that, that missed extra point, he really bounced back from that because that almost, that almost came back to haunt the Steelers. But uh, uh, other points – no, I, th- I think we touched on it. Just the offensive line, Mike Tomlin mentioned today that they took a step back, and uh, you know I agree. Like they did really well against Cleveland. I don't, I don't know what happened up front against the Bears, especially in the interior part. Yeah, interior was disappointing. Offense, the uh, tackles, you take what it is. You're gonna have some struggles. So, especially from a fourth-round draft pick, Robert Quinn is probably one one of the most underrated. And pass rushers in the, that came in the league in the past decade. If you look at his stats, how many sacks that he has. So he's not a – never been a scrub player at all. Uh, he, he – I think he got lost between Aaron Donald out there in Los Angeles. Yep. Yeah, and then, of course, when you have Khalil Mack coming up over him, so – yeah, there, there's a lot to talk about that. Uh, also, you have to give a shout-out to the Bears middle linebackers. They helped a lot with that with that run defense for the Bears. I mean, you, I, I'm, I can speak for both of us right now. It's just like the Steelers need a Roquan Smith. Yeah. yeah you know, Chris, that, that, was bit, that was my guy heading into the league, my favorite player out of that draft. Because when, when me and Chris did mock drafts, I knew he was going to pick him to go to the Bears, but I wanted him to go somewhere else. That picked a couple of spots ahead of him. That would have been a dream. Yeah, yeah, he's a great player. He had that, I know. that sack on Roethlisberger where he went untouched. I think Trey Turner missed him on that play, and he just you – know, Roethlisberger was just like he had no chance there because, you know, he came in free. But, uh, yeah, what did you guys think about the broadcast yesterday? That, that was kind of a big discussion. Uh, like, kind of like Najee Harris tweeted after the game how, like, he never slept on the floor at Alabama. I know. What a, uh, <laughs> they need to get uh, their stuff right. He has and I know Steve Levy, he apologized for it, and he donated to um, Najee Harris's uh, foundation and everything. And, oh, uh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah that's so, nice. like, 
Yeah, you know, it was an honest, honest mistake, but it sounded really weird during the broadcast. I guess I read that he got mixed up with Najee Harris with uh, Josh Jacobs. But, um, yeah, and then there was, was also there was also talk about him uh, messing up on the they, – they, people thought – he thought it was a doink, but oh, it's tough. You know, Ty can talk about this, you know, as a broadcaster and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and some yeah. Sometimes with those with them again, it's a monitor situation. Um, uh, really, I talk about that because in the future, again, I would like to be in Steve Levy's spot, and and I know that I'm not really any good right now, but I'm improving. Well, I'll give myself some credit. I'm I'm decent, but improving. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just like sometimes when you look at that monitor, it's just the way it is. You. I mean, everyone's going to make a mistake out there as a broadcaster, and I always have an affinity for these guys. I mean, uh, I mean, of course, I like Lewis Riddick. I like uh, – I always respected Brian Greasy as a quarterback and all that stuff, and, and his father did the same thing as a color commentator for a while. I mean, people, people need to understand right now that at least for commentators, it's not something that you can just get up and get up off the street and do. In some situations, you can do it, but it's not going to have the, the highest quality. And I think you have to go like, hey, these guys are doing the best they can. Because trust me, the, the preparation that I go through just for high school football games, uh, imagine if I was calling something of consequence like a WPIL championship or, or, or a conference championship or a Super Bowl or some right. sort of college game. I think I think you have to look at it like this. It, and, and, of course, most of it comes down to it, well, my team is losing, so, you know, I don't like that they're talking bad about my team. I don't want to talk bad about anyone's team whenever I'm out there. I want you all to do great. I want to, I want to call 50 to 50 shootouts all night. Yeah. Uh, believe me, but yeah, that's, uh, it just it, happened. You know, I laughed at it last night on Twitter because the way Najee tweeted it, and then, like, even a video came out, which I, like, I tweeted also where, where uh, Levy was talking about it. And, um, right. you know, it, it was an honest, honest mistake. You know, everybody makes mistakes. You know, Josh Jacobs was an Alabama running back, so I could see how he got the two mixed up. And uh, the, the guy that actually tweeted the video from, he ended up deleting it. So, um, you know, it's all good. You know, you know, credit to Levy, too, for, um, you know, admitting his mistake. And he just, you know, donated to Harris's um, foundation, too. But, uh, like really on that drive, like the ESPN broadcast, they were they mentioned it like almost the whole entire drive about Najee Harris's story and everything. I mean, it's a great story. And too, messing so. up his name as well. Yeah, yeah, messing up. That's another thing Najee Harris pointed out. Trust but, me, uh, trust me. I know exactly how they how they feel about this, but I had to deal with it live in person. A quick story. I had to go. I had to go do a uh, broadcasting job for the um. For the Western Pennsylvania Youth Football League Super Bowl, uh, there was this one kid from Clarendon. I I accidentally kept on getting his uh, last name wrong, uh, Pompey instead of Pompey, and his mother was in the stands, uh, basically screaming my head off. So trust me, I know exactly how these guys feel. And, and let me tell you this right now: if you were in the same position as these guys, it's not it's not a fun world. You love to call the game winners and all that stuff. You love to call the big moments, but there's situations out there where you're just trying to fill broadcast time. And, man, all these notes you have, you got to eventually use them at one point. It can't just be the entire game all day, which it was. Right. You got to give respect to these guys. I'll give them their props every single day. I won't, you won't catch me talking bad about another guy because, you know, 
or be in there. I, I guess what, what Marsh's, his, his sack celebration was actually a, a spinning roundhouse kick. <laughs> did, did you guys Don't see that? Watch. I, 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 I did a, not watch it. a roundhouse kick. I was like, what is this guy? Like, Marsh, to give a little background, I know he played for the Seahawks, but, like, he's been cut by a bunch of teams. And he, oh, he, yeah, because – he had bad things to say about Belichick too in the Patriots. Oh yeah, that was already mentioned. That. He was talking, uh, he was talking trash about Belichick. You're in the Patriot ways, it's fine. Well, what do you think happened? What happened with Belichick was the coach and uh, Mark, Mark did that. You mean with Bill? If Billy was uh coaching, it was there last night. He would got cut right on the spot. Uh, so the uh, he would. He would. He would have just basically said, "Nah, get out of here right now." Uh, so yeah. I mean, Cassius Marsh is still a good guy. I hope his uh, car company out in California is doing well because I, I, you should have stopped in there whenever you were back in California, Chris, because that would have yeah, been pretty awesome. But, hey, I mean, Cassius Marsh, he, he's an interesting guy out there. Did you see his uh, post-game uh, yeah, attire the, out there? Yeah, the coat he had on. Yeah, that was just a bizarre story. Like, who would have thought that Carsis, uh, excuse me, Cassius Marsh would have been a uh, a, a big talking point with that game. I mean, you know, he was, you know, a center of a controversy really with the, the whole taunting rule. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess we know how Marsh feels about, he feels some kind of way with the Steelers uh, cutting him. <laughs> I think you have to whenever you came up for this league. But like, then again, it's uh, any given Sunday, any given Monday, and any given Thursday night, someone, beca- someone becomes uh, the hero or the goat. And sadly, Marsh is the goat because of that, but it's not his fault. He'll he'll probably get another sack, and this time he'll just walk off the field with no fanfare. I'm only the bet that's the next time he gets that opportunity. And and now, guys, we're officially done with the Bears uh, podcast recap, and now the Steelers will stay in the NFC North kitchen. As coming up next is the Detroit Lions and. You mentioned Tomlin's special. He got his 150th win. So, uh, okay, big milestone out of the way. So now let's avoid the true Tomlin special in the Detroit Lions. We'll have someone coming up to learn more about the Lions. And we got to ask the question, uh, the, the similarities between the team that went 0-16 and, and the team that's currently 0-8. I'm pretty sure it's two different teams in that time. But remember, guys, just a little bit of a hint. The last time the Detroit Lions went uh, winless in a season, the Steelers won the Super Bowl. So just keep that thought in mind. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> you're trying to do – you're trying to – you see what you're trying to do. I see what you're trying to do. That is a good question. That is good. That is good. Dude. Things that make you – things that make you think. Just, just want to make you think. But, uh, yeah, we'll have that podcast coming up later in the week. But – until till then, for Chris Ward and Brandon Walker, I'm Ty Polk. Thank you for tuning in to the Renegade Blitz. Thank you for listening to the Renegade Blitz podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Renegade Blitz, at our Blitz pod, and at Blitz videos. Read articles on RenegadeBlitz.com, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. The Renegade Blitz podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and wherever else you can listen to podcasts.